not coming out alive! podcast. Today is February 20th, 2007. I am Sharon Hawkinson, and let's get talking. In this podcast, I'd like to share with you a few things. First of all, I'd like to share with you a book that I had bought from Amazon.com. Then I'd like to read a couple of emails that we received as feedback, and thank you. We are really, really, really getting off the ground. Alive! It's alive! It's alive! Then we'll get into our discussion questions of the Green Mile. We'll finish up part one, and that would be chapter seven and eight. And then we'll do part two, chapters one through six. The book I bought that I had just gotten in, in within a matter of a few days ago, is called Stephen King Universe, and the front cover says, A Guide to the Worlds of the King of Horror. The authors are Stanley Wyatter, Christopher Golden, and Hank Wagner. And this is just a little companion guide to the works of Stephen King. I haven't dived into it very much yet, but um, I'm hoping as we go along here that this will be a valuable resource that we can use in our discussions. Now, we, we did receive some feedback from a couple of people, which I would like to read you the emails of. We have an email from Michelle, and she says, I just stumbled upon your podcast because I was looking for all things Stephen King on iTunes. I had found some cool interviews, then I found your new podcast today. I am a stay-at-home mom of three, and also I have been a Stephen King fan since I was in high school. I think I am going to answer your questions now. My favorite Stephen King book is The Talisman, written with Peter Straub. I love that book's characters. I love the journey. I love the parallel worlds in the book. I have read it three times. It makes me feel similar to the way I did when I read the journey that Bilbo Baggins went on in The Hobbit. No way the same book, but for me, similar emotions were invoked. For me, that book was entertaining and had a satisfying beginning, middle, and ending. I fell in love with the characters and think the book was awesome, and she has awesome in capital letters. Plus, since it was a book that I read during a time in my life as a teenager going through rough times, it was a great escape and caused me to get through some difficult times. So in a way, I felt I was going through my own rite of passage with the main character of the book, Jack Sawyer. One cool note is that book is going to become a movie series. There is a link to it on Stephen King website in his future works section. I will be excited to see that. And that question was to what is your favorite Stephen King book? I also have to mention that my next favorite Stephen King book is the Dark Tower series. I read the first three after they came out and after eagerly waiting for their release. 
Then I had to wait until the next two came out because I was so peed about the cliffhanger he left us with after book three. I was, I was mad at him for a long time after that. I do apologize for tripping up all over myself. The question about what is your least favorite Stephen King book? Michelle says, least favorite by Stephen King right now is The Colorado Kid. He did a great job of writing it, but I prefer to have my books not to be left so open. This book didn't take me onto an adventurous enough ride for me to recommend it. Then when I asked, was there someone or something that recommended Stephen King books to you? I was recommended to Stephen King books by a friend in high school. I graduated high school in 89, and I had been reading ever since. Have to stop here because my kids are going to need me to be awake and alive tomorrow. I enjoyed the podcast. I would like to participate. Don't know if I will have time to answer all study questions, but I will do what I can. And that's okay. We, you know, we all just do what we can, and it would be great to have you participate when you can find the time. And thanks for writing in, Michelle. Our next email is from Sean in Georgia. Hi, Sharon. My name is Sean from Rednecksville, Georgia, and I stumbled upon your podcast on iTunes this weekend while looking for some new shows to listen to. I just want to drop a note and say that I thought that this was a great idea for a podcast, and I can't wait to hear some more. As far as the questions about King and stuff, which is your favorite Stephen King book and why? So far, my favorite book has probably been The Stand. I think the book connected with me so much because it played out on one of my primal guilty fantasies of being one of the last people on earth, dealing with both the aftermath and building up again from scratch. It's also one of the main branches off the Dark Tower series, which I really enjoy. Which is your least favorite Stephen King book and why? My least favorite book is probably a mixture between two, Gerald's Game and The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, both for the same reasons. First, King has a tendency to end his books with weird supernatural monsters that don't do the rest of the book justice. And of those examples, the two above are the best. I was very disappointed in Gerald's Game after A, reading it all in one go from morning to very late night, and B, because of the ending. The same goes for The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, which was a very good survival story that had a supernatural creature thrown in for no good reason other than to make it extra frightening, which it didn't need to be. How long have you been reading books by Stephen King? I started reading King when I was 10 years old, about 20 years ago. I decided that I was done reading kids' books and wanted to tackle a real book. He put real in quotation marks, which in my 10-year-old mind translates into one that has no pictures and is over 100 pages long. So I picked up Pet Cemetery in a local bookstore with my allowance. How did you come to enjoy Stephen King's books? After I read Pet Cemetery, I was hooked. My parents gave me access to a chest that had all their old paperbacks that they didn't want anymore, so I promptly took them all to a local used bookstore that offered cash or credit for trades, and I ended up trading about 100 old paperbacks for 20 or so Stephen King novels. For a period of about three years, that's all I would read, one Stephen King novel after another, excluding the Dark Tower books, 
at least the two that had been released at the time. Then over the years, I've just gone back to King on occasion, either picking up his newest books or rereading older ones. Who is your favorite Stephen King character, and please explain. My favorite character is probably a tie between Roland from the Dark Tower books or Randall Flagg, also of the Dark Tower books. But he pops in a lot of King's other books in one form or another. I like Roland because he is the ultimate spaghetti western archetype, though over the course of the seven Dark Tower books softens up and becomes and becomes so much more. As for Flagg, well, he's just that kind of bad guy that you love to hate. And then he goes on to say, I'm not sure if you've dipped into the Dark Tower yet, but it has a very heavy ripple effect throughout all of King's work and pretty much touches or informs on most of his other works in one form or another. So if you ever come across one of King's books that doesn't make total sense or something, it might be clear if you read the Dark Tower series. And thank you very much for writing, and Sean, um, that was a wonderful email. I definitely enjoyed reading it. It was really great hearing from you, and hopefully we will be hearing from you in the future. Actually, yes, I have read um, the Dark Tower books. The one that I haven't gotten to yet is actually the last one. That's only because I just haven't had the time yet. (laughs) That is actually on my must-read list, and so I am very much looking forward to finishing out that series. And yes, I have definitely noticed that the Dark Tower series does come into play with, with a lot of Stephen King's other works. And if you go on to the introduction pages of, of some of the books and, and read the titles of his other works, um, a lot of times you'll find an asterisk next to, the, next to a title where the Dark Tower series is involved in there. And so that's, you know, that's kind of nice because then you can look at that and say, well, you know, if I've not read the Dark Tower yet, then, you know, that's probably what I should read first. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our study questions of the Green Mile. And today we will be covering the rest of part one. This is chapter seven and eight. And then we'll start on part two, chapters one through six. We could have actually done chapter seven and eight last time because they were short. And if we do have a couple of chapters in the last part of the part that we're on, then we'll just go ahead and cover those in in future. These study questions will be on the website so that you can access them and give your feedback if you so choose. Question number one. In chapter seven, we get our first glimpse of Steamboat Willie, who we come to know as Mr. Jingles. What do you suppose endeared the mouse to the guards on E block? And my opinion is, you know, they they, uh, don't really see a lot of mice. In fact, uh, I think a lot of them said that they had never seen a mouse before in the prison or, you know, on that block. I don't think they would have given him much thought except for he seemed to be just totally uh, more intelligent than a lot of mice are. And, uh, you know, they thought it was really cute that the mouse would only take food from the regulars instead of, um, you know, the floaters. When, like, Bill Dodge tried to give him something, the mouse just completely ignored it. And, um, you know, which was very uncommon for a mouse because when there's food there, yeah, they're going to take it. I'm not a big fan of mice myself, but I did have to, um, I did have to say that Mr. Jingles was great. I really, really enjoyed him. He just really, um, added a lot to that story. Dell just really connected with the mouse. And I've seen that with a lot of people and animals. I think where 
a lot of people can't be reached, you know, by people, um, animals, you know, can step in and just really, just really, really do wonders. Animals are very therapeutic. Our next question is, we find out where Mr. Mr. Jingles had been staying and how he got into the prison in the first place. Things are revealed that we don't quite understand until we read further in the book. Why was this revealed now rather than later after everything was said and done? And I do have to apologize for tripping up all over myself here. One thing that Stephen King does that I've noticed with a lot of his books is is the time factor. He will go back and forth between present time and past time and, and future time. I mean, he'll drop hints to what's going to happen in the future. For example, in uh, Pet Cemetery, if you've read that, King mentions that you know that Lewis Creed does not realize that Gage only had a short of a short amount of time to live. Gage was the son of the in the Creed family, and so he just really um, goes back and forth to between a lot of these different times. He's a genius at that. A lot of authors just don't do it very smoothly, but King does. I really like the fact that he goes between the times and drops these hints because it really keeps you on the edge of your seat. I think. And I think this is just one of his tricks, why it was revealed now. And, you know, because it was just something that they could never figure out until they discovered the mouse's secret. And so as we read further in the book, then, you know, we come to know the mouse a little better and we come to understand that, oh, yeah, he would do something like that. You know, so I just I really like this style of writing, the way that King portrays this. At the end of part one, we see that both Paul and Brutal want to be transferred from the mile to Boys Correctional. What do you think caused them to make this decision? I do believe that what influenced Paul and Brutal to make that decision about being transferred into a different department was was the events that centered around John Coffey and knowing what happened to him. And, and also I think it was a mixture of the so-gone-wrong execution with, uh, with, with Delacroix. And we won't read about that until later on in the book, and so I don't want to get ahead of, of things here. And I think it was Brutal who said, if I ever see one more man in that chair, it would about kill me. So that does it for part one, called The Two Dead Girls. This is where we have our first introduction of John Coffey when he was brought into the prison. And we you know, have Paul getting us started in what's going to actually be the meat of the story. Part two is entitled The Mouse on the Mile. And today we'll be talking about chapters one through six. In the next episode, we'll go ahead and finish off part two, which is chapters seven through 11. And then we'll sum up what we have. In chapter one, we get our first look at Brad Dolan, a man who works in the nursing home where the elderly Paul lives. Paul says Brad reminds him a little of Percy. Do you agree? Why or why not? And I have to agree. I think both Brad and Percy were very aggressive. Paul said that Brad would comb his hair the way Percy did. You know, he would just constantly comb his hair. I think, you know, like Percy, Brad just wanted to cause trouble. And Brad was definitely very curious about where Paul went every day. Uh, We're not told where Paul goes until the end of the book and at the end of the movie there. Our next question. It looks as though Brad never liked Paul from the start. Why do you think he gives Paul a hard time? And I think I answered this one in the previous question too. Brad is very curious about where Paul goes on his morning walks, and Paul will not divulge that. Paul is very possessive about the secret that he holds. And because of that, 
I think that is a main factor in this. I think because of that, this is why Brad gives Paul such a hard time all the time. In Chapter 2, Steamboat Willie returns to the Green Mile three days after Percy chased him back into the restraint room. We come to realize that the mouse will only take food from the regulars who work on the mile and refused food given to him by Bill Dodge, a floater. The mouse appears more intelligent than most other mice. Do you agree? And I believe I covered this toward the beginning of our discussion. Uh, I believe, yes, Mr. Jingles, for whatever reason, is definitely more intelligent than most other mice would be. He even has some human qualities that was given to him. And not very many mice, excuse me, not very many mice would be able to roll that spool across the, across the floor. And as for food goes, I think most mice would take the food if it was dropped, no matter who did it. So I think, you know, I think there was something in Mr. Jingles' mind, you know, that just kind of made this work. Again, we see Percy wanting to do the mouse in when he throws the baton at him. Remember, Percy chased him into the restraint room before. Why do you think Percy hates the mouse so much? Well, I think Percy, with him, you know, he's not happy unless he's causing trouble, unless he's making everybody's lives miserable. And I think because the guys liked the mouse and because they just found him so entertaining, and this was why Percy hated him so much. And maybe Percy's not an animal lover to begin with. I don't see him just loving up to a dog or holding a cat or anything. Um, in fact, I would be hard-pressed to trust Percy with any kind of animal, really. And also later on when Dell adopts Mr. Jingles, I think that cinches it for Percy because Percy doesn't like Dell, And Percy doesn't like the mouse. And so, you know, he's going to try to get at Dell by, you know, trying to hurt the mouse. In Chapter 3... We see that Steamboat Willie comes back the next day after Percy threw the baton at him, even when the others didn't think he would. Why does the mouse end up coming back? I think the mouse, I think, felt comfortable with um, the guys, except for Percy, of course. But he felt comfortable on the mile with, with the guys, and he knew that, uh, you know, that they liked him and that they, you know, thought that he was really cool. So, you know, perhaps it was a, you know, kind of a habit thing, but I really think that he knew exactly where he was going and who he was going to see. I think the fact that because the guys liked him, you know, he wanted to come back for, for more attention. Uh, I think Mr. Jingles liked to call attention to himself and almost kind of like a dog, you know, kind of like a friendly dog, kind of like, oh, look at me, aren't I cute? You know, look what I can do. And uh, so I, I think that's why he comes back. But then there was something in him that knew when Percy was off and he would stay away when Percy was there because he knew that Percy didn't like him. We have seen old Toot Toot before, but in Chapter 4, you get more of a taste for his personality. Do you like him? Why or why not? We saw him a little bit in Part 1. He was the old trustee that would push around the food cart. You know, being a trustee, he, of course, is a prisoner, but on a different block, and so his living was made by selling these um, goodies. We don't really know why he was in prison. I don't believe the book or the movie explained why Toot Toot was there, but he was there for years and years, so he must have gotten some kind of a life sentence for something or did, you know, something really horrible to even be there in the first place for so many years. I really wasn't sure how to take him at first. He kind of seemed just like a very strange, eccentric, you know, kind of guy. But, you know, I mean, if you've been in prison for many years, yeah, your mind is going to, you know, things are going to change. Your thinking patterns are going to change. And, and, you know, prison really takes a toll on you. 
I kind of I kind of do like him. I mean, yes and no. I he in a way he makes me uneasy just because he does seem so strange. But in another way, um, I think he's hilarious, and I think he really enjoys his role as stand-in as far as the executions go. He would be what I would call a drama queen, a ham, and you know he who just really likes to play things to the hilt. I think he's got a a different kind of sense of humor, which you know which I like. <laughs> I think I think King really developed this character quite well. In this chapter, we see the rehearsal for Arlen Bitterbuck's execution. It is obvious that Toot Toot enjoys his role as stand-in and totally plays it to the hilt, even making a pretty hilarious crack when he's asked if he has something to say before a sentence is carried out. See page number 96 in the hardcover edition. I cannot read it over the air because... When I put this podcast on iTunes, I did, you know, sign this up to be a clean podcast. And so I, I want to try to keep it clean in case we have some younger listeners here. This cracks up the other men, but irritates Paul. Why did Paul get so irritated? And was he justified in his agitation? Paul is a very dedicated person to his work. He's, a ve- he's very dedicated to the job that he has to do. He has said over and over again that, you know, they need to try to keep the prisoners calm because they are under a lot of strain as they await their execution. And I think Paul wants to make their execution as dignified as possible, as dignified as something like that can be. And he wants to give them respect when they go out. And so he's afraid that in the real thing, that if somebody remembered the crack that Toot Toot made, that they'd start cracking up again. I think in a way he was justified, but, you know, in a way he was also pretty uptight, I think. He was justified because he wanted to keep things as professional as possible, but I also think he was uptight, too, because, you know, he could have, you know, it was just practice, and, you know, they all knew how old Toot Toot was, because, you know, this certainly wouldn't have been the first time that he stood in at an execution. I don't know. We don't really see any other practices before this one. Well, in the book, this is the first time that we've actually seen a practice for an execution. And who knows what it might have been like before. I mean, we don't know because this is the first one that the book had had given to us. And maybe um, Toot Toot always made a, you know, a thing about saying such things in each one. And, you know, Paul could have just, you know, gotten sick and tired of it, too. You know, and just said, hey, enough is enough. All right. I will have these study questions up on the website. You can go to our website at www dot Stephen King Book Club dot blogspot dot com. You can email me the answers to your study questions at Sweet Nightingale S W E E T N I G H T I N G A L E U S at Yahoo dot com. Again, that's Sweet Nightingale US at Yahoo dot com. You can also send me other feedback, like what you think of the book so far, what you think of any other books. Anybody is also welcome to answer the general questions that I put up on the very first podcast. If you have any comments or some fun facts that you'd like to send me, please feel free to write, and I promise I will write you back. I do encourage feedback because I do want this show to be interactive with the listeners so you're not listening to my opinions all the time. Before I sign off, I would like to draw your attention to a couple of other podcasts. There is another podcast that I do called The Twilight Zone Club, And this is where we take one episode of The Twilight Zone and discuss it. We concern ourselves with the Rod Serling classics. That website, if you're interested in going to that, is www.twilightzoneclub.blogspot.com. 
twilightzoneclub.com. You can also punch Twilight Zone Club in on iTunes, and that will bring it up. Another podcast that I like, and I'm a big Harry Potter junkie, there's a podcast called Wizarding Wireless. You can type in Wizarding Wireless in on iTunes, and that will bring that one up. You can also go to the website at www.wizardingpod.com, and they have some forums and things that you can join and, and post to. This podcast is done by a couple of college students from Purdue, and they take the books one at a time and discuss a few chapters in each episode. Another podcast is the Outlander Book Club, and this website is www.outlanderbookclub.blogspot.com. You can also type in Outlander Book Club on iTunes. This podcast is dedicated to the series of books by Diana Gabaldon. And the podcast is done by a lady in Colorado named Krista. She takes the books one at a time in each series and discusses also a few chapters in each of her episodes. And she also puts up study questions on her website so that you can write in and, and contribute to and participate. You can find the links to all these podcasts and things that I have mentioned on the website, www.stephenkingbookclub.blogspot.com. So this is Sharon Hawkinson signing off for now, wishing everybody a happy and safe week and happy reading. Stay warm, and I will see you next time on our next podcast. Yeah.